All right. I'm going to open us up in prayer, so let's get started. Father, I thank you for the chance to get together. Father, I thank you for the chance to study your word. I thank you for the chance to engage with scripture for the purpose of knowing you better. So, Father, I pray that today you would be glorified uh, as, we, uh, as we approach the subject of revelation. Uh, knowing that at a later date we are going to delve into this topic with so much more detail. But, Father, today I pray you would give us a, a good preliminary knowledge uh, from the perspective of your Holy Spirit's role. Uh, so, Father, I pray that you would give me wisdom, uh, help me to speak clearly and, uh, and precisely and correctly. Uh, and, God, I just pray that we would have a wonderful time of discussion as we uh, study your work. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're having some issues with the uh, projector today, uh, so we will not have a, uh, an overhead. We will have handouts. So, does anyone not have a handout? It is so much more imperative to have a handout today when we do not have an overhead. All right. Can you pass that back? Sure. All right. So here's what, what, we're, what we've got going on today. Uh, Alan has been taking us through the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so he's gotten a few places. We are hitting now the doctrine of revelation and inspiration. Now, knowing that later on we're going to be dealing with this in the bibliology course, uh, we're going to take a, a brief glance at it from kind of the perspective of what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, so if you kind of feel like, ooh, we're not going in as much detail, it's because... We're going to be dealing with this in extreme detail later. Um, now, one thing I want to recommend, uh, since we're on this topic and we're about to go into, uh, into bibliology in a few weeks, uh, this book, Has God Said, by John Douglas Morrison. Uh, this is my professor who helped with me on the thesis. This is uh, becoming a very influential book on the subject of inspiration and inerrancy and so forth. Uh, Has God Said? Question mark. Scripture, the Word of God, and the Crisis of Theological Authority. Uh, we are in a, in a time where uh, everything from uh, the liberalism movement of the last couple hundred centuries to post-modernity to the emergent church movement are calling into question the doctrine of inspiration and inerrancy, the, uh, the question of the clarity of Scripture, and it's so important that we understand clearly uh, that God has spoken clearly in His Word and that it is inerrant and God-breathed. So anyway... With that in mind, let's get into this a little bit. Today we're talking about revelation and inspiration. Could somebody first tell me, uh, what, how would you define revelation? Anybody have kind of a generalized, how would you define the term, layman's terms, how would you define revelation? Yeah. Well, not necessarily, well yeah, revealing himself. Uh, not necessarily, doesn't have to necessarily have to be God. An uncovering. An uncovering. Well said. We, um... We call the book of Revelation, Revelation, it comes out of, uh, we use the term, the Greek term, apocalyptos, you know, or apocalypse, because it gives the idea, uh, well, because that, that word actually has the idea of a revealing, um, which is this idea of something being uncovered, or something being made known. Um, revelation is, is that. Okay, now, how do we understand this term revelation, then, in relation to the Holy Spirit's role? Um, how, when we talk about God revealing himself, specifically the Holy Spirit, uh, how do we understand that then? What is it that he is revealing? Something very specific that the Holy Spirit is revealing. Truth. Truth. Yes, for the purpose of... You're absolutely right. He's revealing truth. 
There is a purpose for him revealing truth. We're, we're getting somewhere, you all are. And I'm, I realize that I'm being vague and it makes it hard. To guide us, uh, yeah, but... What's to come? There, we're getting it. I want to think of the, the primary purpose of human beings existing. We've talked about this before. What, why do humans exist? To glorify God. He reveals in order that God might be glorified. So you can say he reveals truth. In some sense, he is revealing God's glory. Okay, so let's talk a little bit then about inspiration. Um, uh, by the way, I think the technical definition I have here, I, I just pulled a theologian and got his best wording of it. He says disclosure or a revealing, a disclosure of something previously unknown. Charles Ryrie says that. He's not my favorite theologian, but he said it in nice little terms. So uh, now inspiration, how would we define, first of all, uh, from a non-biblical perspective, uh, forget about scripture, forget about inspiration of scripture. How would you just define inspiration just in general? If you were talking about, I got inspired, how would you define that? Motivated, maybe. That, 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 that certainly plays in. Think about people being inspired to write a song. Uh, by the way, that's an okay definition of inspiration when we're not talking about a theological issue. Uh, the word inspiration is used in like, oh, I got inspired, you know, I wrote a song, I wrote a poem, I, um, I got inspired and I built something, I don't know. Okay, now it's unfortunate sometimes that we use the best English word we have to describe a theological truth when it really doesn't quite measure up. Uh, English just sometimes fails, and we're, we're, I was discussing with somebody what it means to study something in, in the original language, so like when we're studying scripture. And for a long time I said it's like the difference between watching TV in black and white and watching TV in color. And somebody else said, ooh, but I think it's more like watching TV in color and then watching it in high definition. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Uh, which is maybe a better... Okay, well, I want, you, I want you to think about this. We have in 2 Timothy 3.16, we have this word. It says that all scripture is theopanoustos. Uh, the Greek word for God is theos. Uh, and so, and then the Greek word for spirit or wind or breath is pneuma. Uh, which is why we're, we're in pneumatology class right now, because it's spiritology, it's studying the spirit. Uh, so when we put these two words together, they're kind of amalgamated, and you have this God breath, or God spirit, or God wind, or God breathed, which is the technical definition. And we've translated this word that is meant to be, quite literally, God-breathed, we've translated it as inspired. It's just such a weak rendering of the Greek term. But it's the best we got in English, and we're going to do what we can with it. Um, so I want us to keep in mind that when someone talks about inspiration in the biblical sense, it is a so much more uh, profound word, uh, theologically, than it is in just usual use of the word. Does that make sense? Questions to that before we move on? Keeping in mind that inspiration is so important. So how then would you define inspiration? From a theological perspective, when we talk about what it says in Scripture, how would, how would you define inspiration? When we say Scripture is inspired, what would we, how would we define inspired? Holy Spirit breathed. Well, God breathed, yeah. Um, and I want to say God breathed specifically. Um, we could maybe say Holy Spirit breathed, definitely. But, but I want to say God breathed to make, draw in that idea of the, uh, of the Second Timothy passage. Um, 
Hold on, let me make sure my mic is on. All right, we're good. I need to, you know what, it just crossed my mind. I haven't checked whether or not I'm recording. So I need to check. Yep, sorry, Alan. That's going to be on the recording. You can edit it out. Okay, so biblically, it means God breathes from the Greek word theopanoustos, which we talked about uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16. So, uh, can you kind of differentiate now? Because it's very important that we understand the difference between mere revelation and inspiration. Revelation is, it's revealed, or it's uncovered, it's made known. Inspiration is, it's been God-breathed. Okay? There's a, there's, there's a difference. Now, you could say that inspired scripture is revelation, but we can't necessarily say that all revelation is inspired word of God. Is that clear? Alright. I wish we had the slides. I'm sorry. Alright, we have here two types of revelation. We have general and special. Uh, does anybody know, just from Sunday school classes or from whatever, what, uh, what general revelation is? What is general revelation? I'm being very Socratic today, by the way. I like to ask questions. Yeah? Right. Anything, uh, essentially anything other than miraculous or, you know, scripture, you know? Uh, we, have, we have the idea, yeah, of, of nature, that we, we see the order in the universe. We're like, wow, this is general revelation. We can see, and this, Paul talks about this in the first part of Romans, uh, that there is this revelation that, like, hey, there's order of the universe, there's vastness to it, it's amazing, someone had to create it, and so we should be able to deduce that there is, uh, there is a creator from that. But uh, Paul talks about how instead we worship the creation rather than the creator. Um, which is an interesting thing. Now, general revelation, is that enough for someone to come to knowledge, uh, saving knowledge of Christ? No, I'm seeing people shake their heads no. Somebody be bold and say the word. No. Nine. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's in, uh, in uh, Karl Barth, neo-Orthodox theologian that I can't agree with on everything, but he made a big point on like, God has this resounding No. And uh, to man's yes, and it was interesting. So when, when you think of Barkian theology, it always says no. Um, yeah. Can we back up a few notches? Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm saying that not all revelation, not all revelation is inspired word of God. No. That's so. Yeah. When when I'm talking about um. Because essentially what we're differentiating is between special revelation and general revelation. And we're kind, of, we're kind of on this topic of what general revelation is. That we have the stars, we have order in the universe, we have beauty, we have so many things that give the idea of, of order and, and, and planned, you know, that someone created it. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Um, so we, 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 we ask the question, okay, does, does general revelation, is that enough to save you? And the answer was no. Why? Why is general revelation not enough for salvation? You need the Holy Spirit. Specifically, you need you need the gospel. Oh, go ahead. Right. the The person of Christ is absolutely important because um, I mean, it even uh, when Paul's talking about the gospel, says confess with your mouth that Jesus. Christ is Lord and the God is saving from the dead. I mean, it's very important that we know and state that fact. Um, contrary to some, uh, it is very important that you actually know those facts. Okay, so why then, we see in, uh, in the early part of Romans, 
Paul talks about general revelation, and then he says, because you worshipped the creation rather than the creator, you're condemned. Why then, if, if general revelation is not enough to save us, why is it enough to condemn us? Yeah, Greg, go ahead. Because it's enough to prove that there is a God. It is enough to prove that there is a God. It's enough for you to say, hmm, I better look into this. Uh, absolutely right. Because at that point, um, you could start asking questions uh, to God. And, uh, and instead, people don't. Um, and, and I believe that if, if we ask, he reveals himself. Um, so anyway, that's a whole... I, you know, by the way, side note, I've heard wonderful stories of missionaries, like, meeting these guys. They're like, yeah, you know, I was... Praying you guys would show up. Oh, this Jesus guy. Great. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I needed to know. Um, that's a really uh, Reader's Digest version of a really interesting story that my professor told me one time, and I'm, I'm not doing it justice, so we're going to move on. Okay, then, how would we define then special revelation? What is special revelation then? Uh, I, I can tell you this guys. Is what I would call a miracle. Like, uh, maybe a. Uh, Sickness, uh, something that was there, and uh, the doctors have filmed that it was there, and then when the person goes back after they've been annoyed or prayed over or whatever, okay. it's not there. So there's, there's a, an act of, uh, a, uh, rather than allowing nature to go on in its way, God does something miraculous. Do we, do we include miracles in the special revelation? I, I would say there's a little bit of debate on that. I think it's, you could argue that. I think certainly you could argue that. I'm, I'm not going to. I don't want to say yet. Go ahead. Yes. Um, let's get real specific here. We could we could get into the details of like, well, are we going to include the miraculous events and things like that, or do we fall that under general revelation? Um, one thing is quite certain that. The Word of God, Scripture, and I, I would I would tend to lean on like we're just going to make it a point to emphasize Scripture as as special revelation that it is. And now I wouldn't push that too hard, but I think that's in caution. That's where I'm going to go. Um, but uh, but that 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 is it. That God's Word is is that is that special revelation. The Scripture and all that it includes. Somebody somebody else had a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the see, I would say the that general revelation would be so much as what God has revealed about creation, what He has revealed Himself just in the natural order of the universe. Um, special revelation. I should have gotten a technical definition for you. I'm sorry. Special revelation. I would say uh, involves Him speaking directly in a situation or circumstance. Uh, so like uh, to the prophets, um, in the Old Testament, I would say that's special revelation because God is speaking something specific, um, which we include that idea of God breathed. Um, something like uh, Moses, uh, what God spoke to Moses in the bush, in the burning bush. Or we could call that special revelation. Okay. Yeah. Esther, the thing that she did, I don't know about Esther. I'm trying to think about whether... I don't think God said anything specific. She was just in a situation where... Um, yeah. Okay, 
Yeah, Sammy. Speaking of Moses, I would say the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, that would Daniel's visions, I would say, that's yeah. on the Isle of Patmos, the whole book, therefore, of the book of the Revelation, mm-hmm. that come from the Patmos experience. Yep. That's where, that's where we could say that in itself, there is miraculous involved in that, and it was miraculous that was, God was speaking, so we want to, we want to be careful to, and I'm agreeing, and we want to say that that was, was that he was revealing something specific through the, the miracle. We don't want to emphasize the, the action of the miracle as much as what he was saying. Um, I'm trying to think who had a hand up first. Yeah. Um, so, when you say spiritual, you know, like God's word, um, we're able to understand God's word Well, if we're talking about understanding the Word of God, that is the doctrine of illumination rather than inspiration. Uh, we'll talk more about that. So the, the Holy Spirit's role is absolutely vital. Obviously, that's, we're talking about this in pneumatology. Uh, he is one... Uh, you know what? We're going to get ahead of our slides. Um, you're asking a great question. We're going to get to that. Um, you had a hand up and then you and then we're... That involves the Holy Spirit's role. Yes, there is an idea of, of him. That involves a lot of conviction and, and illumination of God's word. But that's not necessarily inspiration. Uh, he's already inspired the word of God that the sinner comes in contact with. And, and then he illuminates that word to the sinner so that they can understand it and convicts them um, in that process. There's a whole thing in there. But that would not necessarily be called inspiration. Inspiration would be him um, working the process of Scripture itself. Am I making sense there? We're getting into some detail there. Do we need to differentiate between illumination and inspiration? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know what? I might have to come back next week with a technical definition. But the idea, and, and the included in it is this idea of that it is special, that it's not nature as it would generally go about, that God is speaking in a particular time and place to reveal something about Himself, <laughs> to say something, right? To reveal something special, right? Yeah. I was just going to say that, um, you know, theologically, you use the term special revelation to refer to, like, the Bible itself is the result of God's special revelation. It it is. If you don't call it the Bible, you can call it special revelation. And it's the result of God telling us what about himself, things that he wants us to know. And it's, we generally say that it's complete. There's no other source or there's no other place where special revelation it exists. It's the Bible, and that's and it's the and the process is how we got that. How did God do that? Mm. So that's you know, it's limited to just God's word, the special yeah. revelation. Yeah, that we we talk about the uh, the process of which came, but yeah, we when we talk about special revelation, we're referring to Scripture itself. Yeah, yeah, hand up there. I'm going to say maybe you think about special revelation. Thinking about Paul's teaching. That's the revelation of God. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think it's so much, I mean, for an individual, it's a revelation when you receive now, but I don't think, uh, you're talking about more of a divine term for the Word of God. I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question, I'm sorry. The special, special revelation of God, I would think, is the Bible. Yes. Yeah, that's what we're getting at. We can talk about the process by which that happened, and you could say him speaking through the prophets was special revelation. But that's in the sense of that is the process whereby which we were coming to this completed document that is special revelation. If that makes sense. Yeah. So when I when I'm talking about him making speaking in a particular time and place to say something miraculously, that's yeah, that's special revelation, but that's that's still in the context of Scripture because that's how we know about it. We getting there? Sorry. Paul's writings was a revelation from God just as he was talking to the prophets. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because it's the Holy Spirit guiding the process. You know what? We need to move on to the next thing because we're covering things that are in, up, in upcoming slides here. Yeah, you're absolutely... Uh, so anyway, Holy Spirit inspiration. We're going to talk about some views of inspiration here. Uh, first of all, we have this idea of natural inspiration. Uh, this is where they take the uh, English understanding of the word inspiration and apply it to this biblical doctrine. Uh, so it's just, they essentially say, okay, just like Bob Dylan gets uh, inspired to write, uh, you know, a great song like The Times They Are A-Changing, which is a great song, uh, you could say he was inspired, that something triggered him, and he was like, ooh, i got to write this song. Or like, ooh, i got to write this song, um, as Bob Dylan would say it. Um, yeah, that, that, that's essentially natural inspiration is this idea that, okay, just like Bob Dylan was inspired to write great songs, so the biblical writers were inspired to write the word. Okay, that, first of all, is a total misunderstanding of 2 Timothy 3.16, um, they're essentially taking the English word and saying, oh, we're just going to make up our definition of it here. Uh, and obviously that's wrong. Uh, and essentially it's saying that the, the biblical writers had no help from the Holy Spirit whatsoever. Uh, that's a problem. If the Holy Spirit did not guide the process, then it's not God's word. Uh, then there's the idea of mystical illumination. Uh, this is the idea that the biblical writers were helped by the Holy Spirit no more than you and I receive illumination to read scriptures. This is where we talked about the issue of illumination. Uh, illumination is vital. It is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. It's where, when we're reading the Word of God, now, you know, keep in mind, we are sinful, fallen people who like to, uh, we have a bias. If we're going to understand scripture, it's required that the Holy Spirit is helping us understand it. This is why we pray. Uh, in fact, normally, or why we pray before we read scripture, that's what I'm saying. Um, Normally, when I speak, I try to make sure I'm saying, you know, Lord, guide this process by your Holy Spirit. Illuminate the Word of God to us. And, and I, I make some clear statements about make sure that I'm saying the right thing and that the Holy Spirit is illuminating the Word to the hearers and to me so that I'm speaking with clarity. Uh, illumination is important. However, illumination is very different than inspiration. Uh, now, we haven't gotten towards our biblical definition yet, but... But illumination is simply, here is the clear information. I'm just making sure you understand it right. It's essentially the Holy Spirit is making sure that our human bias is not getting in the way, uh, twisting our knowledge of what he has already made sure is correctly written. Okay? 
illumination cannot work in the process of inspiration because, as part of it because then, you know, what, what is it being made clear? It's just illuminating nothing until something has been inspired. So there has to be a God-breathed word written first so that it can then be illuminated. If illumination is all you got, well, then what are you going to write? I'm, I'm illuminating nothing because I haven't written anything yet. Making sense? All right. Anyway, uh, the other issue we have, uh, dictation. This is the issue that the biblical writers were completely passive and God dictated every word to them. Now, um, there are different kind of definitions within this, but what could be the problem with the dictation theory? There might be one or two problems. What could be the problem? Yeah. Um, there's a distinctiveness of style of writing with mm -hmm. all the different authors that God used. That's a good point. It doesn't take into account the different styles. Now, in certain now, not everybody would apply it this way, but certain ways that the, that, the uh, that that theory could be applied could also cause a problem. What could be the problem with the dictation theory? Think about this. Let's let's say I um. Let's say that I got a book deal. Not looking to happen anytime soon. And let's say I, um, I broke both my hands, I couldn't type, and so we got somebody to, that I was going to dictate to. I could dictate exactly what I once said. Of course, I'm going to mess up because I'm not perfect, but it is, uh, I could have a great person taking down the dictation, but their copying of my words does not necessarily mean that they're going to say exactly what I said. We bring in now, depending on, because I think certain people define it different ways, but in the dictation theory, if God is just speaking the words directly, then we are relying on the people writing to write correctly, and we know that they're fallen, sinful people who make mistakes. Okay, so the dictation theory does not take into account the idea that in the doctrine of, of inerrancy, that, that, that the words are right in the original autographs. Um, so anyway, that's an important thing in the dictation theory. It doesn't necessarily work. Uh, so, partial inspiration. This is the idea that only parts of the Bible are inspired, that the Holy Spirit only, you know, here and there. Which is, uh, I think the Thomas Jefferson Bible, he just went through and was like, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and this I think is okay, so I'll leave it in there. And so he essentially just cut out a bunch of things in the Bible he didn't like. Um, it's kind of scary. Um, yeah, the idea of partial inspiration, that's dangerous, because then it's like, well, what parts are inspired and, and what's not, and who gets to decide? Um, that's pretty dangerous. Partial inspiration, first of all, too, just, it's just kind of made up. It's like, oh, yeah, well, we think some of it was inspired. Um, there also is the conceptual, it's the idea that only the concepts of Scripture were inspired. Um, this is kind of in the idea of uh, the realm of like, well, we don't want to go on this whole six-day creation thing, or maybe somebody says, ooh, I don't like some of these things about God judging whole groups of people and slaughtering people in the book of Joshua. So we're going to say, well, we're going to just go on these concepts. You know, or maybe they say, well, we don't really necessarily believe in the miracle of the resurrection because that's too hard for us. So they want to say, well, we want to believe, though, in this whole redemption thing. So we'll say, well, the concept of redemption in the gospel, we're going to agree with. But that whole thing about Jesus raising from the dead, we don't like. Well, that's a problem. Because it, without the bodily resurrection, we got nothing. Um, and so it's very important that, you know, that, that it's more than just conception. It is that everything is inerrant and inspired. Cool. I know we're kind of breezing through these. Are they making sense, though? Any questions? Feel free to throw up a hand. Uh, no, the neo-orthodox position. First of all, is anybody familiar with what neo-orthodoxy is? Somebody give me a, a brief definition of neo-orthodoxy? If not, it's okay. I realize this is... Um, Late 19th century theology. 
Okay, neo-orthodoxy. Around the uh, this is something important actually. Around the end of the 19th century, there was this idea uh, that liberalism was rampant, and it was this idea that man, man is basically good, and so things are just going to keep getting better. Um, and there was this very positive, like, well, you know, and, and the the idea of of judgment was very downplayed. Uh, the idea was that man was basically good, things were going to work out okay, scripture was not taken literally in any sense at all, if valued in any way. And then we had things like the First World War came along and we're like, huh, maybe we're not as great as we thought we were. Um, and interesting thing, you had, uh, of course, Germany is almost always on the, on, the, on the far edge of theology, very advanced normally. And here we have Karl Barth, theologian studying under all these liberal uh, liberal people, uh, and, and he's very, you know, very much in the liberal movement and just, you know, oh, everything's going to go good. Well, then Kaiser Wilhelm comes along and he writes this very active war policy um, to start World War I. Uh, and he's essentially, you know, Germany's great, you know, predecessor to Hitler in many ways. He's like, Germany's great, we're going to go take over all these things and we're going to kill a bunch of people. And he goes around and says, all right, I want you theologians to sign on with my war policy. And almost all of Karl Barth's uh, professors and teachers joined up with this. And Karl Barth looks at this and he's like, he's like, I don't understand. Uh, I thought we we're all about peace here and we're loving Jesus and all of a sudden there's this, we're, we're throwing everything out the window just because of the new political power. And so he calls into question his, his liberal theology completely. Now, Karl Barth did not go all the way over to orthodoxy, but he came a long way. Okay, so where there was once liberalism didn't care about the word of God at all, essentially, he comes along and wants to say some things about that. Well, at least something about this book is inspired. And so he develops this theory, uh, among other things. By the way, Karl Barth did a lot of, we shouldn't just accept Karl Barth and say, woohoo, great on Karl Barth, but he did some positive things to bring back academic integrity uh, in the theological realm. And uh, he had a long way to go, but he did come a long way, so know that he had a valuable impact on evangelical theology um, and some negative impact. Anyway, neo-orthodoxy is the idea that the Bible is a witness to the Word of God. So what, what is the difference between this then and, and our orthodox theory? If, it's, if the Bible is merely a witness to the Word of God, what problems could that bring about? Maybe there's no problems. Maybe everybody likes that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It kind of gives the idea that, like, of, of maybe two different things, or maybe that there's a stair step. Maybe there's the Word of God, and then there's this Bible thing that's it's nice, but it's not quite there. Um, yeah. Now, Karl Barth, to be fair, later in his life, he might have said that somehow the Bible becomes the Word of God, um, but he essentially saw the Word of God as like, well, it was like a yeah, I don't want to misquote him, but almost like it was a conduit that like, okay, it was the word of God is here. And if and if if the, if the Holy Spirit works in just the right way, it becomes the word of God while you're reading it. Uh, he had a really kind of slightly mystical, floofy uh, version of uh, of this doctrine of inspiration. And let me tell you, he was close, but he missed it because he was unwilling to just say that the word of God is the word of God. Um and that is a problem because it's very important that we understand, just as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, 
that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Because when you say that Scripture or that the Bible is merely a witness to, then it's not necessarily perfectly uh, valuable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, etc. Uh, and so when you come to like the doctrine of angels and demons, well, he might say, well, maybe they're there, or maybe they're not really like the Bible says they are. And so it gives him some reason to reinterpret things. It's a problem. But he at least was moving liberalism a little bit more towards the orthodox realm. So therefore your definition of neo-orthodoxy is, what's neo mean? Neo is uh, new orthodoxy, which was the idea that it was, um, they were kind of, uh, they were, if, if liberalism is a, a one and perfect orthodoxy is a ten, they were maybe around a 6.5, you know, on a good day. Um, all right. So neo-orthodox. Then we have this issue of uh, inspired purpose. The idea that the Holy Spirit inspired the doctrine but allowed the facts to be wrong, which is similar to the conceptual theory. But uh, it's the idea that, okay, all the, the doctrine is right, but the, uh, the whole issue of, like, well, how many people witnessed the breaking of the bread with the 5,000 and the two fishes and all that, uh, the numbers might not be exactly right or... Or maybe, maybe it would say something like, well, that whole thing about the raising of the dead, mm, the doctrine's important, which you might get into, um, Rudolf Bultmann was the, the guy who is, he comes to the, to Bible, to the Bible with a quote-unquote scientific worldview that says, well, well, we know miracles can't happen, and so we've got to re-understand all this. So he tries to re-understand the doctrine and try to keep the doctrine in a mythological sense still there, but like, ignore all the facts. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, because we can't have the doctrine without the facts. Okay? Sorry to go through all those false views, but sometimes it helps understanding the false views in order to clearly understand the truth. Okay, so we're going to go towards a biblical view here. Uh, the Holy Spirit superintended but did not dictate each word. Could somebody look for me at 2 Peter 1.21? Hey, somebody to read that for me? I've got a few verses here, actually, that I'm going to have some people look at. Um... First, first, somebody, if somebody wants to go to 2 Peter 1.21, we'll read that. Does it scare anybody to say that the Holy Spirit did not dictate every word? Does it sound scary? We're going to talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah. Or because they wanted to prophesy, it was the Holy Spirit who moved the prophets to speak from God. Holy Spirit who moved the prophets to speak from God. Interesting the wording there, that it talks about the Holy Spirit moving the prophets but then it says that they speak from God. Um, very important. So it's this idea that he's not necessarily dictating every word, but he's certainly in control of the process. Okay? Yeah? I don't know translation you have, but in the NIV it says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Well, we get into that issue of this, how that, uh, how that word is translated carried along the, the word um, the word that's there oh I forget the Greek word but it has this idea of moved or carried or borne along um, which kind of gives the idea that there he's supporting all the process that you know carried along has the idea that you're not doing it of your own your own power um, that somehow you're involved in it but it's not necessarily you um, yeah Yes. 
not an act of the human will. Yet another important piece. And by the way, Nasby I think translates it the best. Kind of a Nasby fan. Um, yeah, uh, not by product of human will, but carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this this causes us to think some things as we're defining, or well, we're understanding the definition of inspiration. That it's not by the will of the human authors, but they are somehow involved as the Holy Spirit is carrying them along. Uh, which to me gives this gives this openness to that hey that their their personality can be on it as God allows it, but He is still controlling every word uh, that gets written down. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It, then it gives it gives uh, it gives the whole reason for this why the styles can be there why um and why still though it can be perfect um, and when you think about the fact. All the biblical writers and how the doctrines line up so perfectly well. Uh, now, some people will try to say that it doesn't, but man, they do. And when I, people used to say, I don't know how James fits into everything. Like, we just did a study in frequency. We went through Romans verse by verse, through James verse by verse. And you're talking about harmony. Man, it just, it just flows. Anybody who thinks that it contradicts is because they're taking like a verse here and a verse over here and trying to say, what are you going to do about this? Um, oh man, it goes together so well. Yes, absolutely consistent. Oh, when you think of like over thousands of years. Oh my goodness, that it's that it's all just lining up, and that there is a cohesion all the way, literally from Genesis uh, to Revelation, and you have these wonderful. I love it. Um, which, by, by the way, that's that's just an exciting thing. How um, for uh, for philosophers and people like that, to, uh, there's this uh, Anthony Flew, uh, the atheist who has just recently become a theist, a monotheist at that, and hasn't become a Christian. But when you ask him about, well, well, your choices are Christianity and Islam, and he's like, oh, the stinking Quran. He's like, it's penance to read the Quran. It's an ugly book. I hate it. And then it's like, but man, the Bible is a really beautiful book. And we're like, come on, Anthony. The water's warm over here in the uh, in the Christ-like boat. All right, all right. Um, so anyway, the, the Holy Spirit used the human author's original styles as evidenced by the the various styles. I mean, we we have them there, so we have to say something about it. And then when we read Second Peter one twenty one, it seems to give allowance for them. So man, this is it works. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit ensured that the original manuscripts were inerrant. Um, that's an important thing. This idea of God breathed gives the idea that like He cares about the words. And that every word is, is in detail there. Um, very important. Plus the fact that they all line up just kind of is evidence. All right. Yeah. Uh, we're essentially talking about the verbal plenary theory. Oh, and I'm, I need to know how to, how to define plenary. You know, here, I'm, I've been cautious to start getting too much into the, uh, the scripture aspect of it. Um, Recognizing that we're dealing with that, obviously, but I'm trying as much as I can to keep this about the Holy Spirit because we're in pneumatology. So let me just say we're going to talk about that in detail when we get to the uh, bibliology course. Because um, I did not necessarily prepare like detail from because that that's very much a perspective of of bibliology and that's obviously imperative to what we're talking about. But I'm trying to keep it as much about this. Um, let's look at a couple of... We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit inspiration of Scripture, Old Testament and New. 
Uh, now we've talked about uh, from uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, key passage, and um, that was 2 Peter 1.21, right, that I said, or did I, I did say 2 Peter, right? Okay, good, because otherwise we would have read the wrong passage and it somehow worked anyway. Um, uh, those two passages talk about how it happens. We're going to talk about, though, specifically to the Old Testament and the New Testament, things that were going on here. We only have... We have to about we have another ten minutes. So could I get a couple of people to pick out some of these? Could I get somebody to take Second Samuel twenty three two through three? Somebody want to volunteer to read that one? Yes. All right. And uh, could I get somebody to take Second Timothy three sixteen while we're talking about it? Yes, Ruth. And um, let's do someone do Mark. You know what? No, let's jump to Acts one sixteen. One sixteen. And. Um, and you know what, we won't go all through all of those in the Old Testament because I don't want to take too much time there. Um, and then could I get somebody to read John 14.26 in relation to the New Testament? Yes, Pam. And uh, let's do 1 Corinthians 14.37. Somebody else? Okay. And then um, one more. Let's get somebody to do first, or 2 Peter 3.16. Yes, perfect. All right, uh, do we have our Second Samuel 23, 2 through 3? Yes. Okay, do you want to read that for us? The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The wrath of Israel said to me, When one rules over man in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God. That's all right. You got the key thing. Could you read that first little bit of it one more time? The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. Now, this is talking. This is an Old Testament writer talking about how the Holy Spirit spoke. And he talks about through him. He spoke through him. This is good. Now, I don't want to make too many comments on that. But just remember, this is, <clears throat> this is falling in line with what we're talking about in Second Peter 1.21. This is the idea that the Holy Spirit's working through them, but he is the one that is the author. He is the one active in the process, not the human will. Uh, what was the next one? We had somebody do Second Timothy 3.16, right? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Um, all scripture is God's reading and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, important that we understand here, um, the New Testament has not been fully assimilated at the time that this is being writing, written. Now, he does say all scripture, and so I, I say that he's talking about old and new, even though the new is not together yet, um, because he is knowledgeable of what we're going to talk about later, that, that Jesus told the New Testament writers to write. Um, so he, he knows, and he even calls Peter's writing scripture, and, and back and forth, Peter calls his writing you know, scripture. And so he's saying all scripture, but we can apply this, I would say, to Old and New Testament. And he's not just talking about the New Testament. I would say he's talking about the Old Testament as much as the New, that it's, it's, it is God-breathed and that it is profitable. And I love that he gives to what is valuable about it. It is profitable for doctrine, that's the details of theology, for reproof, which is the idea of, hey, your theology is bad, you need to fix it, uh, for correction, hold on, am I saying them all, doctrine for reproof? Teaching, Teaching. Uh, there's the idea of Oh, I'm, I should define them a little bit more clearly. But the idea of re- rebuke and correction, that there's theological correction and then there's rebuke of sin, and it's valuable for both. Um, and that's, there's, the two words are kind of 
separated there for that reason. And obviously for teaching, uh, talks about for doctrine, and then for training up and just like that. Everything you need is there. Um, and I love that he specifies that. Because uh, there are those who would like to say, well, you know, Scripture's nice for doctrine, but, you know, for living my life, I need all this other stuff. And, and granted, you know, we, we have theological journal, journals, and then we have scientific journals that are good for science. But as far as the, um, the living of your life, Scripture answers good stuff. All right, so what was the next passage that we had? Acts 1.16. It said, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled with the I love that phrase, the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David. Once again, gives this idea of uh, God breathed, the Holy Spirit is the one who speaks, and yet through the mouth of David. Um, we are seeing, can, and, and is it just me, or are we seeing this clear theme through Scripture that the Holy Spirit is the one active in the process, but He is indeed using the biblical authors. Are we in agreement with that, or, you, or do you all think I'm stretching it? I'm, I'm asking, you know, am I stretching that too much? Ask your question again. Yeah, uh, do we, are we seeing this clear? Does it seem that as, as we're defining this doctrine of inspiration, or, or as we're defining the action of the Holy Spirit in it, we're not really trying to define the doctrine of inspiration yet. That's going to be bibliology. When we're talking about the, what the Holy Spirit's role, does it seem clear that it is He is the one who is, who is acting, but He is indeed somehow using the biblical writers. Because in, in every passage, it says the Holy Spirit moved or the Holy Spirit spoke. But it seems, and every time, it's like through so-and-so, through so-and-so, dot, dot, dot. He is emphasizing that he is the one in control of it, that he is the one even speaking, but there is some way that he is using the biblical human author. Um, yes? You know, I would say so, but I'm, I'm, I'm conscious sometimes, yes, you know what, I'm going to say that yes. Um, in fact, sometimes uh, when we understand the relationship between the Holy Spirit's work and the, and the fact that there is human personality, the personality of the human authors on it, uh, I see that, uh, that doctrine paralleled to the uh, hypostatic union, the idea that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, not really sure how that goes together, but it does. Um, and in the same way, Scripture, I, no, I shouldn't say in the same way, but in a similar way, Scripture is very much God's Word, and it's, it is cut and dry. There's not like a, a balance between the two, but somehow he's using human personality in the writing. Would it be safe to say that the Holy God's Spirit, because it's all Trinity, wrong here, um, utilize and also enable? Um, you could say, but what's so important, this is where we have to land on. We have to land on the fact that every word was exactly what God wanted, to precision. Uh, we got to be careful not to confuse that with dictation. Somehow, he is allowing their personalities to be a part of it, but it's not like he's got his word and he's like, oh, you can affect it by your personality. It's all exactly his word. Somehow, he's using, though, their personality so that there's this uh, flavor to it. Um, so, yeah, as, as long as we have to be so cautious, because this is what's happening now. Uh, Rob Bell, 
uh, popular young preacher guy in, out of Michigan, uh, has been pushing this, and he doesn't call himself emergent church guy, but he pretty much is. Uh, he's been pushing this whole thing about like, ah, I'm just really trying to discover scripture as the product of, of humans. And it's like, and in one context, I want to say, well, okay, you're, maybe you're just appreciating the fact that God used so many different authors and that there's a beauty to it. But he is really starting to lean towards this, like, well, you know, it's not necessarily all perfectly God because he's using humans. Um, we're getting into, like we say, it's a little, a little bit of mystery how God uses it, but it's so important that we land on this thing that God made sure that every word was exactly Right. So you want to talk about, you know, the uh, the fact that he, his human authorship somehow is involved in that there is beauty and personality and style, but every word is exactly what God wanted. And when you start leaning too much on the, uh, the fact that God's using human authors, people start wanting to tweak in this, oh, but that means that they affected it somehow. Well, they didn't. Yeah? When you say every word, I mean, every word, in the same breath, let's say, Transcription, there have been some changes, and we don't know exactly what the word was. Is it putting a real limitation on God? Oh, I don't think so. Oh, I don't think so at all. God allowed this to be his message. Mm-hmm. It, so if there was a word he had there that we missed somehow, and God allowed something he wanted us to know. Be or oh, I'm sorry. When did I say that that was? I mean, when we say early words in the original autographs. It's exactly what God wanted. And one word doesn't in because we don't know what it was transcribed. Well, how people go to that detail? Are you talking about as it's been passed down? Because we're getting into a bibliology issue. But I, I would say, first of all, we, the reality is, is that there is word order differences. I, I believe he certainly guided the process. I certainly think he was in complete control and that, it, it has been, that, that scripture has been passed down with such delicate detail and beauty. But the reality is, is that there are some word order differences here and there. And there is maybe where there's not a, an article or there's a spelling change here. Uh, nothing that affects doctrine, or even really that affects the facts. Yeah, but in the original autographs, every word was exactly right, and down to the detail of, of I believe the the a and and the every jot and tittle. Yeah, we're running low on time, but go ahead. I don't think that's what he's referring to, because uh, I think he's talking about the unity in, in the process of, of teaching the gospel and spreading the gospel, how, or, or really just the general unity of the body. But you could say that that affects, you know, if we're the, the unity there in, in that, and just in, in being the body of Christ, that there is 
an involvement in Scripture coming together, but I, I don't think that in context is what he's talking about. Um, you could say just as, um, I'm trying to think of an illustration, I could be talking about um, unity in general, and I could then talk about perfection in this area. You could say indirectly that that's involved in that, but I don't think that's necessarily what he's talking about there. Yeah? Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, my friends use the word, and then it comes to me, I have to explain something to them. You say it in according to their perspective, how you know them, what you know about them, so they understand it. And I think in the same way, God has looked at this person's personality and given it to them with their personality. Um, you could argue that, yeah. That's, um, well, I, want to, I want to be cautious there because it's not like Scripture says that's how it happened. Um, we just know that, yeah. Well, and, and you could argue that, I mean, simply just as he has, like, the Gospels written to different people groups, that there is, you know, has a plan and all that. Um, uh, we're running out of time. I'd like to hit just a couple more, though. Could somebody read John 14:26 really quickly here? Um, this is Mm-hmm. Why is that important as he's talking to the apostles? That the Holy Spirit's going to come and remind them of all the things that he's taught. Yes, Juliet. Yeah, that's... At least in that moment. However, uh, how does this affect when we're talking... We're talking about what the Holy Spirit does in inspiration. What, why is it important that they remember that he teaches them? Because they need to write it down. <laughs> they need to write it down. Uh, Jesus is, is essentially pre-authenticating the New Testament here. He is essentially saying, uh, Holy Spirit's going to come along, he's going to make sure you get this right. Uh, that's really important because, I mean, we can, you know, by the fact that Jesus affirms the Old Testament helps us to say, wow, it's, it's good stuff. But he is here pre-authenticating the New Testament. Um, we are out of time, and I don't want to. I don't want to kill the next class. Sorry if there were a couple of you that were left to read, but we, we did get get through this topic. Now, keep in mind uh, as we're closing out here. I'm going to close this in prayer, but keep in mind we're trying to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in this. I'm really trying to be cautious not to define the doctrine of inspiration yet, although you're naturally already getting at it. What we're trying to talk about is what the Holy Spirit's role is in this. So some of you might be leaving and like, well, we didn't really talk about this. And I, I recognize that that is because we're, I'm trying not to get into that yet. I'm trying to focus on what does the Holy Spirit do here. So leave today thinking about, okay, the Holy Spirit has a role in inspiration and revelation. And uh, leave here remembering that he is the one who does the primary work in inspiring Scripture. And it is, it is in fact, God-breathed because he's using the Holy Spirit to make it come out right. Uh, we're going to define the doctrine of inspiration later, but right now we're really trying to talk about what does the Holy Spirit do. So, anyway, Father, I thank you for the chance to get together. I thank you that your Holy Spirit uh, illuminates the Word of God to us. I think I am thankful that he has inspired human authors, he, that, that you have breathed your Word through them in a mysterious way that we can't understand in detail, but God, you have you've made it happen and we have this Word that reveals you in detail. Um, and as much detail as we need, I should say, at this point. Father, I pray that you would just be glorified, and I thank you for giving us your word. I pray that you would just be glorified through the week as we serve you in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for coming.